0: On today's episode, Dave interviews Kelly Leonard. Kelly is the Executive Vice President of the Second City
1: and the President of Second City Theatricals. Kelly's worked at the Second City since 1988 and has produced reviews that have included Stephen Colbert, Tina Fey, Steve Carell, Seth Meyers, Adam McKay, Rachel Drash, Amy Sedaris, and scores of others. Kelly's recent productions included Second City's A Christmas Carol, Twist My Dickens, and The Second City Guide to Opera, featuring Renee Fleming and Patrick Stewart, with Lyric Opera Chicago. I'm Ian Foley,
0: and this is ADD Comedy. Um, but these conversations have just been awesome. And I was talking to Allison, and Allison was mentioning how fun it was to listen to um, Sam Bennett. hmm And people have grown in such ways. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Well, we were all babies. Uh, we're, all, we're all babies, and there's also—we're all discovering who we are.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, along the way. I mean, I, I started here— this is my first job out of college, was as a dishwasher at Second City, with John Favreau right. washing dishes, and you know in those days the back bar was filled with sociopaths and alcoholics, brilliant, lovely people, uh, well not all lovely, but certainly brilliant and damaged, mm-hmm. and you could drink for free, right? And we had these terrible Are you a sandwiches. Wait. Uh I I, I I do. I'm not you know. You weren't that. Kind I'm not of... Dylan Thomas level. Uh, which is probably why it's never still realized. alive, though. So there's still hope. There is hope. Um, but you know, it was beautifully dysfunctional and, and interesting. And Mike Myers was on stage. Bob right, Hunt was on right. stage. Uh, Crowley, um, Kevin Crowley, and that was yeah. And that, so, so you know, the view from the from the dish, or a hosting, or a box office, in those that that time period was crazy. And you were, you know, you were in the touring company then? Yeah. Um, And, uh, you know, who would have known that the four-year path, we would have then worked together professionally, (laughs) which is ridiculous. But, but so classic Second City. So, you know, um, it, 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 it was weird with the 50th anniversary. A lot of people talked about how it was your high school graduation, your college graduation and your, you know, work, um, graduation I guess all sort of wrapped in into one um, because it's so familial and and because we start so young and we're molding our voices um, and and it's you know what's funny is how long it takes for people then to shift their perceptions of you you know so certainly there's there's people who up until even a few years ago I know thought of me as you know the dishwasher became a producer or whatever, you know, and then <laughs> yeah. I, after I go, I've actually worked here 26 years, <laughs> and I've, I've produced for 22, right, longer than, uh, longer than Joyce produced, right, double, right, if not, Joyce lung. yeah, mm-hmm. um, and just short of Bernie's producing run, which was about 24, it's
0: interesting, in that when you come into somebody's life, that's when you get to know them. Mm-hmm. That's, when you come to somebody's life, that's the foundation upon which they build knowing you. Yeah. And the idea of surrendering is so difficult for a lot of people that is surrendering mm-hmm. the past for them mm-hmm. uh, and surrendering the past your history. Mm-hmm. because when I look at you, I don't think about that. Uh, although I did know you mm-hmm. when you were, I did know you when you were doing that. Yeah. Um, and yet I go, oh, We've moved on. I don't look at Allison Riley and say, shouldn't she be downstairs doing uh, Lois Kaz's job or whatever the hell she was doing? Mm -hmm. Like to look at that. And it's also like, as a father, you also, you, you, how do you do that with your kids? Do you understand what I'm saying? Sure
1: yeah well it's a ch- i think it's a challenge for any for any parent and you've seen that in sitcom after sitcom uh, i will say though um while we've all moved on and changed there's very essential parts of us that haven't and that maybe i don't want to admit that and this is the thing with my kid because i'm very uh, at least with my 17 year old i'm very honest about who i was and what i did um, especially in talking about matters of like you know drugs and sex and all the stuff that you have to talk to your kids about and don't want to, um, uh, and he just laughs at me because he's like he worked out at one point where I was talking about yeah when the Bears won the Super Bowl we had like this giant sub sandwich it was like twenty feet long we had two kegs of beer he goes wait you weren't twenty one when they won the Super Bowl <laughs> he's like oh no I wasn't kegs of beer yeah right. we totally right. did right. Um, uh so so you know there's there's a part of me when i see you going oh you know you know a real part of me that is still real that is a kid or a flaw or whatever but then there's other life experiences and other things that i've accomplished since that uh in you know most gloriously having children and semi successfully raising them uh that have made me a different person
0: clearly and i think that what what we also do is we tend to look um s- so when i look at those of our those are friends who are in the um in the ether of fame you know like in that uh, at that particular level i still look at them and i say and i see where i remember when they were doing things where they didn't have confidence yeah. and i still see that within them mm-hmm. And I see them fighting, fighting
1: that in a certain way. Does that make sense? Yeah, I had a funny experience recently. Uh, uh, about, I don't know, it was less, less than a year ago, I, uh, Tina Fey called me and Jeff Richmond. So Jeff is married to Tina. They both worked at Second City at the same time. Jeff was a musical director, then became a director. Um, and J- Jeff uh, was sort of a key director here at uh, the point at which, you know, I was... Further along farther along enough in my producing career that I was sort of knee-deep in it and felt I knew what I was doing, um, though I probably didn't. And uh, 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 Tina was doing a benefit for her kid's school and asked if we could bring a touring company and basically help produce this event. So we brought a touring company to New York, beautiful event at Lincoln Center. She customized all the stuff, Saturday Night Live Band, Jane Krakowski, all these stuff. It was awesome. However, it was hilarious because during the rehearsal, we fell back into our classic modes of when we worked here, Which was Tina was on stage, she deferred to Jeff, who deferred to me. However, Tina was always in charge. So it was like she would say something like, I I was thinking this note, but you know, it's up to you and whatever. And that would be, oh, that's interesting. And then Jeff would say to me, So it all became our idea. And then we went back, like, okay. (laughs) And then we realized by the end, like, oh, it was all Tina's good ideas. (laughs) Not that we don't play a part, but it was the dynamic was no different. And and it was just sort of tea, you know? Yes. And it Tina It was tea. Yes. And she, you know, slap me on the back and talk, and we'd be like, and it was, you know, and, and same with Jeff. And though we hadn't laid eyes on each other in like three or four years, um, it was very easy at that moment because we're in a theater together with a touring company doing what we did together to fall back into that.
0: Clearly. What are you, uh, looking at, like, I'm listening to, to you talk about Tina and talk about Jeff and you. And there's this feeling of, and you see, fall back into it. Mm-hmm. So there's this confidence that you fall back into. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, there's, this is how it works. And I think the the idea of confidence is one that isn't really explored that much in the work mm-hmm. that we're doing, and it probably isn't explored that much in general. Mm-hmm. To say, how do you get the confidence in order to say this is what it is that I'm doing, or how? You know what I mean? Sure. But, well, I, and,
1: I, I think it's, I think it's less how you get the confidence and more how you reduce the fear. Okay. To, to me, the, the Let's key... Let's move this lower. Yeah, go ahead. The key with any of this stuff mm-hmm. is, uh, uh, look, if you look at the reality of your, your work life and your personal life, none of it should work. Right, none of it. Like we shouldn't be able to um, uh, drive our cars and not be in accidents constantly. <laughs> exactly. Right. I mean, it's insane. insane. Yes,
0: and I think one of the reasons is we don't we don't think about the no. difficulty. That's interesting. So you need
1: to put the fear aside, and and you need to be a hey, all things are possible. Not to the extent that you do stupid things, but I think on an everyday level, it's very easy to fall into paralysis. Right. Um. And so I think for improvisers. Uh, whether it's explicit or not, that is part of their training, right a fear reduction uh, so that um, there's a very healthy part of uh, an improv community that can go out and be and it's borne itself out. How many people are successful out of this you know community uh, and it's because that they can reduce the fear when they are uh, present uh, and in the moment in participating. And it doesn't mean they're not a neurotic mess before and after. I
0: look at Jackie Hoffman sure you know what i mean mm-hmm. to go there's somebody that was fearful of so many things we'd get on an airplane for the touring company <laughs> and she would be davening there with her, and I'm going what is happening right now and then what on is stage happen- right completely fearless oh, absolutely anything absolutely but i love that idea of it's the it's not the it's not the uh it's not looking well, it's all part and parcel. So mm-hmm. it's the reduction of the fear, the acknowledgement that there's going to be fear, and, and, and putting that aside and engaging in the activity that you want to do.
1: Yeah, it's not... I think confidence is misnomer. Like, that's something you can go get. I don't think you can. Mm-hmm. I think you just have to bring down the temperature on the other thing to be yourself and be your the person you are. I think the idea of... Confidence uh, t- tends to um, take us to oh, I need to, there's a thing I don't have. It's Got like, it. No, you already have it. Right. <clears throat> it's just a matter, you also have the censoring part of you. Yes. And improvisation um, is an amazing um, uh, uh, practice. To get you centered. I mean, it, it's what, what's what's interesting about this. You know, I wrote a book. or I co-wrote a book that's coming out. Oh no, no, no! Yeah. So, what's the name of the book? It's called Yes and. Oh, mm-hmm. awesome! Uh, it's about. It's basically a business book about improvisation, creativity, innovation that I co-wrote with Tom Yorton, who runs our corporate division. Sweet. And it comes out in February. Who's Har- publishing? Who oh, nice! Yeah, in February. One of the big boys. One of the big boys. Uh huh. And and what it really ended up being is that you know being here for so long. Um, and we're not, Tom and I aren't the gurus, we're not the practitioners, but what, what we basically say is we've observed from our various perches, me from the, the theater and Tom from the corporate area, that this work has powerful applications across myriad platforms. Um, and if you look at just a few of the tenets, we take seven tenets of improvisation, and we're going to show you how they play out on the stage and how we've seen them play out in the boardroom or with other folks, um, they make a very compelling argument that improvisation is yoga for your social skills.
0: Absolutely. That
1: improvisation is something that really, it's it's additive to any endeavor. Really, if you're a person trying to make something out of nothing, if you're a person trying to make something out of nothing in groups, you have to know this. Right. And if you don't know this, you're working at a deficit. Yes. Um, and the other thing that's interesting about all this is um, there was a, a late great teacher that I know you've talked about on, on these sessions before named Martin DeMott who uh, made a religion out of improv, um, which bugged me because I came from a school of like, nope, nope, nope. This is art. This is business. It's art and business. That's enough. It's not a religion. Um, and then one day you turn around and you go, shit, Marty, what right. you <laughs> <laughs> And not that I want to build... Uh, 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 gurus or or priests or shamans or churches around it but what is right about it is it's way more powerful than what goes on on a stage that people are paying their 20 bucks to see Um, the health and wellness applications of this work are, are starting to really come through, we're working with kids on the spectrum, we're working with Parkinson's patients we're working with seniors, social anxiety disorder patients. We being
0: the... the Second the, City.
1: Got it. We, basically, we have a whole, what you call a health and wellness vertical uh-huh. for the business that is, if you if you ask me what is going to be the big thing in Second City in 10 years, I'm going to say that, that we're going to find more and more um, legitimate um, uh, medical practitioners, who are going to be um, uh, using this work and finding applications for this work? And the exciting thing about that is it's 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 curative and it's and it's good and it's it's doing good in the universe for a lot of different people. It's I, it's so interesting
0: that we come back to that. And I forgot who was talking about that, but somebody was uh, was talking about that. One of the second city people of where y'all are right now and. While when we were talking earlier, mm-hmm. I was thinking, what makes this place different than any other place? And I mm-hmm. think that you've that that we've all hit upon that, mm-hmm. and that is the curative, yeah, uh, the curative uh, product that mm-hmm. comes from that. If you want to say product, pedagogy, exactly. There, uh, yes, mm-hmm. and the idea of, and I, I mentioned this to Alison. I've also mentioned it on the show before the idea of. The process is the product. We're watching people. We're allowing people. We're telling people that what you're going through right now is where it is right now. That's the product. The product mm-hmm. is your process. Mm-hmm. So when we're watching two people on stage downstairs or wherever it's going to be, we're not hoping to get to the end. What we're sitting watching is what's
1: their process. Yeah, start in the middle. I exactly. Mean, that, that applies to the but, And Start in
0: the middle. Be in the middle. You're mm-hmm. in the middle. We're watching in the middle. Everything's in the middle. So the actors get to be in the middle of their life. Mm-hmm. and the human gets mm-hmm. to be in the middle of their life as well.
1: Yeah, well, that that's that interesting thing about where your character's lightly that happens in Second City. Mm-hmm. I was recently talking to an artistic director who was working with a group of Second City-trained performers and non-Second City-trained professional performers. And he said something about why is it that the Second City people seem to have more honesty with their performance? They're not pushing so hard. And I said, I think it's this idea that you're always showing a bit of yourself inside uh, the characters, and that's that's encouraged, whereas I think in a lot of other theatrical training, absolutely not. You right. want to become a different character.
0: Right, right, right. It's so interesting to me because people say, I want you to teach a character class, and I'm and I'm thinking... All right. What you think I'm going to teach you is not what it is that you're going mm-hmm. to have, is because it's not going to be. And I remember a class that I had here many years ago, the mid '80s, where a teacher had had us sit down and write out what this character was, and I found it to be so difficult because it wasn't me in. It wasn't me being involved in it. Mm-hmm. It was me being a part of it, which mm-hmm. gave me an opportunity to judge it, yep. which made me stop and not say what it is that mm-hmm. were my, were my truths.
1: Well, that, and, 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 again, that those kinds of insights are the ones that are, um, I mean that, that, that is the role of a very good second city teacher and a very good second city director to understand how, um, uh, precious and delicate, uh, the act of creation is within, in, improvisers because you can't you can't give them too much information. You can't give them no information You've got to know when you you might say the wrong thing and then suddenly they're they're in their heads I mean it is it demands a a different kind of psychological approach uh, To the work and I mean this is foremost This has been taught to me uh, by two people Mick Napier and my wife Ann Libra um, uh, in very different ways Um, and, and primarily in note giving, right? So a producer, and essentially, even though my title is executive vice president, I'm really a theatrical producer. And a producer always gives notes. And there's a good reason why, why that a producer, is- A producer A producer, producer gives notes uh-huh. on, on the show, on mm-hmm. the process, on all that stuff. And there's a good reason why that's ridiculed uh, in Hollywood and other places, because producer notes are generally garbage. So over time, both Anna and Mick have taught me, A, um, not to give obvious notes be um not to give notes that are useless in terms of like you know this would be better was in france oh boy you know which nothing would happen but to find m- moments uh that uh, uh perhaps can provide a different kind of clarity for the director uh there's simple ones where you're like oh you know they're saying this word i think it's confusing and th- this or have you considered that the time period's not clear or have you considered this um you're talking about clarity yeah, you're it's talking just, about clarity. It's just, the, and and that is what a producer function should be. Um, if if it's more than that, then I should be on the writing staff, which I'm not. Um, and and at the end of the day, you know, at the Second City, the system we've created that you know was given to us by Bernie Solins and Howard Alk and Paul Sills, and that uh, Andrew Alexander has has sort of you know given to to us as producers here is you hire great talent, um, you give them a sandbox. Um, and then pretty much your your role on the way is do the best you can to keep things on the rails and and offer advice or help or solace right there's not really
0: more than that god that's so interesting it's it's a the producer job just as a second city director job the second city producer job just as a second city director job is uh, best kept in second city so what I'm saying yes. is you cannot you you can use a lot of the skills that you're learning mm-hmm. at second city as a director to direct somewhere else mm-hmm. but there is something very specific about being a Second yeah. City director. There's something very specific about being a Second City producer. Mm-hmm. And it is all learned. It mm-hmm. is all... We did learn all of this from... I'm, I don't want to say mistakes because they weren't mistakes. Well...
1: From the experiences... No, they're mistakes and the mistakes are okay.
0: Well, but that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm, I, you know, it, we're, we're, we're yeah. parsing in that way, but I feel like... Um, As we know, whenever we're doing a scene, and I talked to Allison about this too, Allison Riley, when we're doing a scene, that which you see as a mistake, something might be within that and say, wait a minute, Mm -hmm. wait a minute.
1: So. The crack in the game is how um, uh, how Rick Thomas used to describe it. Oh, God, Rick Thomas. The crack in the game.
0: Rick Thomas, Rick Thomas. Do you remember when he called Colbert and when he was talking about Colbert and Paul Danello and said what they did was nothing more than monkey danger? Monkey danger. And then I, <laughs> I like years later, I'm watching a show and I, and I see two people up there and I was like, you are doing nothing more than monkey danger. I like, I fucking got it. I got what he was talking yep. about. Monkey danger. Yeah, Monkey danger. And the crack
1: in the game is always that thing of, if, uh, the way I describe it to people is if you're in a room watching an improvised set and uh, two characters have identified themselves as Bruce and John, but the character playing Bruce calls the other guy Tim, uh, we all know it in the room. There's only one person who doesn't know it, but then the guy who's who's John who's been called Tim says something like, how'd you know my secret identity? It is the most glorious moment the the glee that happens from from the helping the person uh, uh, finding the mistake and then turning it is better than if it was all done cleanly.
0: Absolutely, and and for that person who is being called out on their quote unquote mistake, mm-hmm. for them to be able to surrender their ego that says but I didn't but 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 to accept that gift yeah. that was just given, where it's like secret identity is like now we're in this other place. Yeah. Yep. So a lot of what it is, I think, that, that all of us are doing is saying there there is the the ego is there. And I'm, I mean the Eckhart Tollean ego, not the ego of uh, Freud. Yeah. So it's this Eckhart Tollean ego that says, you know, don't, you're not going good enough or whatever mm-hmm. that's going to be to go. You know what the goddess of improvisation has come down upon you and said, We're, you think you're doing this scene, but mm-hmm. you're doing this scene. Yeah. And you know what? That's the scene to do.
1: And, and one, of the, one of the hardest things, uh, uh, and something I'd love to get better at here, is I think we're very good at keeping the fear off the stage. And I think what we're not as good at is keeping the fear um, in the offstage environment. So what I know, I had a, a revelation, you know, four or five shows ago. I made a discovery as a producer at Second City 15, 16 years into doing the job. That was critical that I really didn't know in my bones until then if I'm having that kind of epiphany after 15 16 years um, uh, I everyone who works here, you know on the stage needs to understand that they don't know everything and that it will change and that's just it just happens and to, to have that expectation that You know, no, this is the way, and I'm getting mad because it's like, no, you got to throw that out. Throw it out because it's it's probably not true. And maybe it is, and it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. You know, the the insatiable need to be right is a problem.
0: Oh, man, I know. And for
1: me, it was this idea I always felt from a producer end that you could manufacture the results of a show. Um, so if I wanted to do a deeply political show, I just needed to hire these six political writers and Bubba and all this. And it was this thing at a certain point where Matt, I remember Matt Hovde and I were in the room and it was for studs, Turkels, not working that mm-hmm. show, which ended up winning the Jeff award for best show, uh, where they weren't producing the material we had wanted them to. Mm-hmm. We had this idea about what the show should be. And then I, just the epiphany happened. And where I was talking to Matt, which is like, you know, and I think Matt said it, which is like, we just need to, make the material they're giving us the best it can possibly be and once we do that good better and different we'll have done our jobs and indeed that made the show great
0: i was hired by boom chicago to do a show called uh rock stars and i went there uh and i was told and i've told this story before i was told don't worry the show whatever you want to do because i'd done a show two years earlier that was great Mm -hmm. that was you know sort of it was it was just a really fun fucking experience. So I I get off the, the plane. I go to the line supply. And there's an immediately, at the like, clock, like, it was just an amazing thing. Um, a tram comes by. And on the side of the tram is the, the word rock star, uh, rock stars. Um, uh, Boom Chicago presents rock stars. And then it gives a slug line of what the show's about. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, there's no there can't be (laughs) there's no show yet Mm -hmm. and they said don't worry about it don't worry about it but what ended up happening was I kept trying to fit that show into Mm -hmm. the material that these awesome actors were doing Mm -hmm. you know um, and it was really really hard it was Mm -hmm. so hard and uh, um, Jordan Peele was in that show I remember that show came
1: here Oh, did it come here? Isn't that one where we uh, did the cast exchange? Uh, I Jordan think... played the Swedish girl. Uh, that, ye- that ye- yes, yes, <laughs> like yes, 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 yes. Yes, yes.
0: So that in that way, mm-hmm. if you force something, it's not going to be what it is that it is that you want it to be. No, and pull away.
1: And a c- theater gets made that way. It's there's no problem with theater being. You know, people come up with ideas and then they write towards that idea. That happens all the time, right? But for our work, this—it's one of the reasons I find Mike Lee film so um, true and honest—is because he creates a lot through improvisation, and it, you just get a different kind of result, right. right? And I think that, you know, fifty-five years into this. The best Second City shows stand up with the best theater in America. Yes. Almost, I mean, Bob Falls says that. I mean, th- this is not just us tooting our own horn. It's just true. And in part because it's just such an honest process that when fully matched. And look, that's you know, that's maybe one show every five or six years. It's not, you know, we're not, you know. I, I like to say this. At the Second City, the worst a show is going to be is funny. Right. Because right. of the way it's created. Right. At the best, it's going to be high art. Yes, that's also funny. Yes, yes, and I think about I also uh, again
0: in conversation in in conversation in conversation with uh, Allison, which is such a studs thing. I think. Uh, I thought you were going Joe Franklin. Good thing. the hosts, Good that too, um, but all those hosts. So uh, we talk about the quality of the actor, and I don't necessarily mean good or bad. I mean the quality of the actor. And when I say the quality of the actor, I'm laying heavily on the word actor. Mm-hmm. The idea that I, that. These people in this theater mm-hmm. are actors. And my training, my acting training came from here. Yeah, yeah they... Because some, some, somebody, because I'm watching Kevin Crowley on stage, or I'm watching Bonnie Hunt on stage, or I'm watching Jane Morris on stage, or Jeff Machowski on stage, or I'm watching Jackie Hoffman on stage, and I'm watching Carell on stage. Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing these guys take their bloody mm-hmm. time.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you are, well, at Second City, you're an actor-writer because um, you're doing both once you get up there. But yes, the, the they're not comedians. I mean, this is the the thing. The you know the in joke here is always the, if you want to calling them skits, right, right? Right, comedians right, and skits. Right. you comedians right. doing your skits. It's like no, they're scenes and we're actors. And I know it's a little precious, but it's our thing.
0: Well, no, but I remember you saying. I think mm. it was you that said this is not uh, this is not an improv theater. No, it's a theater.
1: It's a theater. We we use improvisation. Sometimes we create completely improvised shows um i think that you know the you, you know you go back to the whole Del bernie argument yes you know is uh, Del, it art is it not art you uh, know, bernie the,
0: saying it's not art improvisation is not art and dell saying it's art it's art
1: yeah um the the reality is it doesn't matter that no no one person can claim something art or not art it the improvisation is vital to what we do here it doesn't second city doesn't exist without that in its in its pedagogy um However, our, our, what we are most known for and our chief thing is is content. We do create devised work is what they call it in theater. We what does that mean, shows. devised work? Well, in, in um, theater school and in regional theaters, um, there's a lot of talk about devised work, which is usually means um, plays that were at some point workshopped with actors. Mm-hmm um oh or, i see were created by groups of people oh i feel like
0: i should have known that phrase i
1: know us <laughs> <laughs> just sort of funny because it's like there there you We know, talk about this all the time because they keep going devise work you mean what we do at second city for 55 years <laughs> we've done that right we didn't need to call it that it's right. just our shows but you know i get it in that it's not a lone playwright right sitting alone right uh bringing it to to a group right um uh but in, in that, uh, uh, in, in what we do here, um, uh, improvisation is absolutely vital. It has a huge role. There are, there's you know, fierce sort of study and application of it throughout the process. But the bulk of the resident company shows are written pieces as they should be because they're performing in front of sold-out houses eight shows a week. Um, I mean, I remember for Piñata... Uh, Full V's. Which, uh, which Tom Janice directed. Seminal 1995 show. When we were talking about that show, the game plan at one point was to do an entirely improvised main stage show. Which I remember Adam Kaye at a certain point, once he started understudying, goes, That's not going to happen. Right. How are you going to do eight shows a week in front of these sold out audiences and give them any sense of quality? And you're going to be exhausted. So, you know, improvisation, really high quality improvisation. I've never seen you know, two or three a week could maybe handle. Right. TJ and Dave, could they do right. an eight-show schedule? I would say, I mean,
0: knowing, knowing when I've done a 45-minute show you're exhausted and if you do and
1: that's just 45
0: and that's 45 right it's, it's not a two, a two act, act show right it's not a two act show even though you have 6 or 8 people how many people you would have in yep. that you still it is fucking it's mind exhausting. It, it is it, exhausting it, 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 because
1: because the high wire act is so significant so it's not to sort of say it's it's an insignificant art form it's a niche art form right it's like avant-garde jazz i mean you're not gonna you know again like there's a difference between a full uh, concert and you know a 45 minute set right um and, right and you walk in with different expectations as well so you know we fiercely use improvisation it is part of our uh, total dna here but at the end of the day it does serve mostly um in the professional. Uh, uh, Part of this this business, professional theatrical part of this business, it serves a function as to get us to um, fully producible shows, written it's, shows.
0: And and I gotta say, it's just a blast to put the shows together. Mm-hmm. It's a fucking pain in the ass, yeah, it's hard. and it is hard. But it goes back to it's not the product, it's the process, and to enjoy the process of being in process,
1: and that's huge. Well, you you own it. I mean, you you know your your x number of shows. What'd you do? Five, six. I did ten shows. I did ten shows. Oh yeah, I guess you count Northwest and all that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you own those ten shows. You're yes. a part owner of all those. Those in, in, and and that that you always have that. And I mean, especially like I can think of because that was a, a, a important period for me too. There's just like your visage, uh, f- turn of phrase, are eternally burnished into my brain, and not even your best work, right? I, I'm, I'm, there's, what the hell were you wearing? Some sort of beanie thing, and you had a... Uh, it was your costume you left backstage. Yes, that was... I was thinking about that very it scene. What was that goddamn scene? That
0: scene was clowns. That was where oh, Jackie the, the Hoffman. Clowns. It was raping clowns, and to look at that scene and to go, we did a scene where Colbert was raping, was trying to rape Jackie, Jackie Hoffman. Hoffman, and I came in with Alman as the as the Deus Ex Machina in a way, yes. where it was like just about to, for penetration, and I came
1: in as the Make a Wish Foundation kid. Yes, can't get it on my head. No. I mean, I should be thinking of Maya, which is maybe the greatest scene of all time in Second <laughs> City of the Modern Era. No. i think of a rapey clown. Right, right. And I got but- to go, clowns, clowns. <laughs> That's how I think of- and it was interesting because I looked at a, a
0: photograph the other day and I wore that same shirt in an ETC show. Oh, God. And that was a, a scene with, again, Col- Colbert. But you look at those, those to be able to. See, again, there's nothing like that job. There's nothing mm-hmm. like this job. And so, of course, the people that leave here, no matter what, are going to be inspired in a way that they're not inspired anywhere else. And and again, I'm going to go, I'm going to, we're the big boys. So it's, I don't care about, you know, that's not that I don't care. UCB don't have it. The Groundlings don't have it. Acme doesn't have it. You know, well, they're
1: building their own. They're building their own worlds and traditions that are different from ours.
0: Clearly, but clearly, and I don't mean to knock it, but sometimes no, I can't help it.
1: But it's it's you know the, the and the and, and and the thing is, one of the biggest differences is that we're in Chicago, um, and, and I would say, uh, UCB in New York in particular has built a very specific uh, world around that alternative New York comedy scene. Right. What what That is going to be very special for a long period of time. We have done that um, in Chicago as part of the theater scene. It's just, it's apples and oranges, all of it is. That's, that I, that I will wrap my head around. There's right. a thing we share, but the, the, the thing we don't is that we come out of this, you know, uh, look, we were the first storefront theater in Chicago. We started the storefront theater movement. And between Playwrights Theater Club and Compass and then Second City, you know, that spawned everything. And everyone here knows it. So, you know, right now I'm co-producing a show at Goodman Theater. And it's like, it's the first one I've done there. And it's so funny because... Um, you know, Rock Shulfer. W- when I got out of college, my dad, who was a local theater critic here, I told him I wanted to get into theater, and he's the only parent in America who was excited by that news. Uh, I was the youngest of six boys, and and he had always wanted to be in theater. Ended up in media, um, but he got me an interview. Well, he
0: did part of a show here.
1: Yeah, he did. He ended up in a show here. Yeah, and uh, also Alter Boys and Sheer Madness. <laughs> awesome. Um, but he uh, he got me an interview with Bernie Salins, uh and Rock at Goodman. So, uh, and Rock, uh, Bernie, of course, founder of Second City and then built the Willow Street Carnival, which was, yes. a, I, I worked on that. And then right. Rock, who it, has run Goodman for years with Robert Falls, one of America's best stage directors. And uh, Bob is great. He, he, it's so funny because Robert Falls, you don't get more legitimate than that. And he would be like, there's nothing more legitimate than Second City as a, as a theatrical entity in, in his mind. So he was thrilled when we got to do the show there. What was the show? Oh, what Goodman? The show? Uh, it's called Twist Your Dickens. It's our oh, Christmas yeah. Carol, which we did oh, in LA first. Oh, great. Yeah. Great.
0: Are any LA people going to be in Frank it? Frank
1: Kayeti's in it. Uh-huh. Uh, the, my favorite thing is for Scrooge, we got Steppenwolf Ensemble member Fran Guinan.
0: Oh, love a it.
1: fierce stage actor. Um, and it's hilarious because he's so deep and, and intricate in his work. And then he's surrounded with our idiots. <laughs> and it is just so funny. Um, And, you know, I produced Steppenwolf and Chicago Shakespeare. So, you know, over the years, we've gotten to work with a lot of the the theaters here in town and then theaters across the country. Um, And I know when I first started in 1988 here and, and pretty quickly ended up doing marketing, like in 1990 or whatever, the big thing was to everyone thought we were a comedy club and we wanted to. Reshape our reputation as a theater. That the '80s remarket, remarket, rebrand. Though no one said that word then, right? Um, But the reality was, as successful as we were in the '80s with the comedy boom, the reputation critically was not good, right? It was that we were, you know, tourist trap, uh, place that sells drinks, and it's not. Again, there was really good work going on, um, but we in by the early '90s had a hard time shaking that but luckily we did pretty quickly those those reviews you know from your era on i would say essentially the sort of 91 to 98 was our period of like okay we're gonna try new things we're gonna do all improv shows we're gonna do theme shows we're gonna and and you know it it took notice and we sort of returned ourselves to that and then Years after that, starting to work with all the regional theaters around the country, Actors Theatre in Louisville, La Jolla Playhouse, you know, brought us back into that vernacular.
0: Yep. The idea uh, that we're all connected in this way—I mm-hmm. um, think about that show, the um, Our Town show yeah. that we did in the back there, the Heliotrope Players. Um,
1: that about- was a show before its time. That was a show before its time. Four years. Four years. Later, that would have been a monster hit. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was just, it was a rocking show I at wasn't that producing. time. I was marketing then. I was not producing. And I remember we did full page ads, which was the first time we'd done that for Second City because we loved the show so much, but it wasn't, people didn't know how to view it. No. Nope. And that was the, well, I, I often, I don't know how many people know this, but Pinata Full of Bees was the worst selling show in the history of the Second City. Um, maybe challenged by the R-Town show. Right. Uh, Which is an ETC. Which is an ETC. In part because we gave the audience no context with which to see it. Um, We didn't tell anyone we were doing anything different. Now, the critics loved it. The the improv community loved it, but they're not the ticket buyers. Right. The regular ticket buyers kind of got driven away. Now, there was a good part to that, which was there was a... Generation of, it's not as good as it used to be, audience member that we didn't want anymore. Right. Um, Interesting. And when Mick Napier then directed Citizen Gates right afterwards with Tina Fey, among others, um, that show was very uh, well regarded because Mick, which is so funny given, especially knowing Mick then, uh, as this wild child annoyance dark material he had massive amounts of respect for the audience and did not want them not leaving happy so he took all the experimentation of pinata but put it in a pretty bow well what
0: happened if you look at the set mm-hmm. of, of pinata <laughs> yeah. there was no set no right it no. was uh, exposed it was to everything. exposed the back the like normally you have that crossover mm-hmm. but if people want if the actors had to crossover from one side to another they had a crossover during the show mm-hmm. in public mm-hmm. and be present to it all props and costumes were on the stage correct yep they were all on the stage. Not professionally lit. No. Nope. No lighting director. No. No. And yet, when I think about a scene like Gump, which mm-hmm. is just such an amazing scene, and um, you know, a lot of yeah. people are going to go, what the fuck are we talking about? I, in my mind, as I always do with a great scene, I see that being in an office. I see that being at a desk. Mm-hmm. I see them being, having chairs. Of course, mm-hmm. none of them, none of that having happened. Yep. But it was because you had Scott Adsett and Adam McKay going back again, all going actors. back to the actors, mm-hmm. the actors making us see that. Yeah. And when you talk about shows that were prior to my era and I think about that Again, I'm probably losing people here, but the idea of that Les Audience scene, mm-hmm. where Kevin Crowley and uh, Kevin Crowley and Barb Wallace, right, were producing it, where Kevin was an uh, was, 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 was an artist and he was showing his piece to uh, Steve Assad Sheridan, who was going to see it, who was an art dealer, and, mm-hmm. and his parents came, and it was uh, Rick Hall and Bonnie Hunt, and then they reveal that the audience is, is the this pain. is the, is the piece, mm-hmm. and the acting that was done in that piece blew me away. Yeah, just absolutely the commitment yep. blew me away, and and for me that was the change. That show was the change.
1: Yeah, I mean it's not that like Second City ever got bad. Uh, I I again like all theater is context, and once you've been around for so many years, um, un- unless I mean it just doesn't. It, it you've got you have to as a theater producer um, set up the context for. Everyone to view you, that means critics, that means regular audience, that means new audience, so you've got to work at it, and as, as you know, in those days, I was, when I give people tours of Second City, I, I you know, um, I often end with the beginning, so I start with these fancy offices that we're in on the, you know, third floor, but I end at the box office and the main stage, and I say, that was it, right, it was just that row, right, that's, that's all that was there. right. So there were no bodies here to do the big job that one has to do to frame uh, the experience for audiences because especially now in a social media world, you know you go to Yelp or you go to TripAdvisor, you know, go on there and look at Second City and you're gonna be kind of blown away. You know We have like a 98% approval rating. And that doesn't just happen because we all just show up and do the same thing every day. What we, what we have done is meticulously, try not to screw up the things that work while um dare you know somewhat daring to monkey with uh the formula at different times. And that's both on stage and off
0: stage. <clears throat> that's exactly what I was talking about Allison about mm-hmm. the idea of how this building is the manifestation of yeah. the, the of of the philosophy that you just expressed. Mm-hmm. In that it started with that little and now it just ate up this corner. Mm-hmm. This building and of course beyond.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But but it has I think for the most part, um well no, I, I think we can say this safely. You know, there's still a very high degree of experimentation here, which is usually um not associated with a growing business.
0: Yes. Those of two course. things
1: don't happen and, and, and that that is a, a weird thing here that happened, I think, in part because that comes from Andrew. This, you know, so, so yeah, Andrew yeah. Alexander is the owner of Second City. Is, you know, fiercely uninterested in screwing up the things that make it right, but has got such uh, ADD that he can't help but want you to play.
0: It's so interesting because I remember when he took over from Joyce, people thought it was going to be just the opposite.
1: Oh, I I left. I almost left. I went and looked for another job. Right. I was told that, oh, I'd hate it. Oh, no. I mean, Mick quit. <laughs> right. Nate quit. Right. I mean, all these people who are my dear friends. Uh, I, we, I know we had conversations about, like, what is this going to mean? Because we were all sort of in the trenches together. Yes. Um, and then he comes in. He's more experimental. Less, I mean, you know. And, you know, I have nothing but high praise for Joyce Sloan, but Joyce had these things of, like, they can never wear dresses.
0: Right, right, right.
1: And she didn't... Different types. She didn't want different types. And it was like, you know... So she had her corner that she had painted herself on. And we all do. Like, I... You know, I know I actually have that, too. If if, if I build a show, it's going to be like, you know, uh, three Tina Fey's and three Stephen Colbert's, and everyone's going to be able to wear glasses and talk about politics and literature. (laughs) And no one wants to see that. Right. So... I rely heavily on the young people who are coming up through the system, whether they're directors or other producers or whatever, to not make sure I'm front and center in my taste with all the stuff um, because I don't want to be that person. Uh, But, yeah, Andrew really uh, was feared, and then I think it became pretty apparent, not pretty quickly, that, like, oh, no, this is going to work in a different way. And then, really, by the time, you know, I think we've just suffered this, right, starting with Joyce passing, and Bernie passing, and Sheldon passing, Jumptinkin. and Fred passing, right. Rick has. Right. the founders, the, the you know, and, um, it's crazy, Kelly. It's crazy.
0: It's crazy. And the same that your, your father passed away yeah. too. Yep. And that Harold Ramis passed away yep. too. And like, it's like, what, what?
1: They're all gone. And, and, and we're left. But the one thing that was amazing for, for all of that, because you know, we are this team here, and we're, we're, we're in what's called Producers Row at Second City. So, my group of 11 are the people who produce all the stage shows, the touring shows, the theatrical shows. We also produce all the memorials. And to be able to, I don't know if you were at Bernie's. Uh, no, I was not. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I mean, all the
0: memorials that I went to were in LA. LA. Well, yeah. similarly, yeah.
1: they have all been pretty amazing experiences yes. that are absolutely celebratory. Uh, Of the past, but I think a very healthy reminder that we're all still here together for those of us that are still standing and that we have a responsibility and that I think everyone looks at and go, okay, it's in good hands.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: And And that to me was the thing of, again, living through when I became producer in 1992, that was not greeted necessarily well. I mean... I think, people, you know, you and I were friends, we knew each other socially, but that was going to be maybe weird, and I didn't know what I was doing. Right. So, it took years to potentially get some people to think I was okay at my job. Right, right. Um, I, uh, at, the, at the benefit uh, in New York that we did with Tina Fey, right. um, Scott Adzer performed, Uh so Scott Adsit, who's maybe one of the most brilliant performers I've ever worked with, um, and was a friend of mine prior to me producing. We actually, Jackie and he and I and Nate Herman, we all working on stuff together, me as a writer. and Scott was tough on me. Scott's tough. Scott's tough anyway. Yeah. Um, uh, but Scott was not wrong. And his criticisms of me were not wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and after I produced this benefit, I got a note from Scott telling me what a good job I did. I swear to God, it was probably the best review I've ever gotten. Because it came from him. Right. And, uh, and it was so meaningful. And I, without trying to gush, I sent him a note, like, you have no idea that, that what, you know, what I think of you, how I respect you, but also that, you know, uh, you would think well of me in this because that is what I, I want to, that, that's my goal. Yes. Is to make him think I'm okay at my job. Right. Right. And gotcha. that's a lot to bear on Scott Adsit. poor Scott Adsit. but, you know, it was, you know. There's a reason and you get it. I mean, yes. with, with regard to his professionalism and what he what he can do.
0: Oh, of all the people that I know <laughs> of all the actors that I've worked with, Scott is the hardest. Like he will walk away from rehearsal saying, That was horrible. That was just absolutely horrible. And we were just we we're we we're just playing through the we we're just playing through it. And yet I've seen him do that too. Yeah. Um I've seen him do that too. Yeah. And, and 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 I also look at him. Because there's so many actors that we have where, and I think I mentioned this in the podcast with him, there was a scene that he and I did in rehearsal, probably for our level four or five show, when we were at Training Center, where... The scene was, he was a bartender, I was working the bar as well, and he was cleaning up the bar and putting the dishes away, the glasses, the cups away, blah, 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 and washing them out and cleaning it up and all that. And when I think about that scene, I see the bar. Mm -hmm. I see, Mm -hmm. again, going back to gum, like saying, there's an actor who does something, and in that moment, he elevates himself to a master, but also to, in a way, to... shaman, because Mm -hmm. that, you know, getting back, I don't mean to be, talk about it in that way, but it's clearly, we have magical powers Mm -hmm. in a way.
1: Oh, Gump, the way he fiddles with his socks and his tie and and is is so concerned with his, his person, um, there's an actor on the main stage right now named John Hartman uh, who reminds me um, mostly of Adsit in the way that they can physically create the spaces that they're in just with their bodies and then, and then can extend that to sort of objects in a way that it's like, oh, that's different. John actually has a scene in the main stage called New Heart. It's him making a phone call. It's just mm-hmm. him on stage, so which is why it's called New Heart. But it is the way he makes each of these calls and looks through the Rolodex, and he has a certain expression on his face that he resets for each phone call. I, I was like, only AdSit and Carell? Carell had a little bit of that. Carell did. Um, but really, in terms of the full thing, AdSit, um, because I don't think of Carell setting up environment outside himself. No,
0: no, no, no. Steve, when I think about an object that Steve would have, it would be uh, during that Christmas scene that he did with Franny where Franny got him a 10-speed bike and then Steve got her a humidifier uh, from Walgreens across the street. That's what I always think, like, oh, he went across the street and brought it to the main stage. But no, I don't ever see him doing object work really no, but, but he, I see him creating an environment certainly yeah, and creating he, an environment and he
1: plays without the ball he, he is it, it, it doesn't matter what anyone else is doing on stage he's acting yes. even if he has no lines that was the thing about Maya that was so brilliant is that scene does not work without the reaction clearly um, that That's the,
0: exactly and the simple honest mm-hmm. reaction because that scene is all pressure tension dynamic it's, the, it's fish out of water but the fish out of water isn't the 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 guy playing the old black woman mm-hmm. the fish out of water is the guy who's watching this universe mm-hmm. that's there mm-hmm. and being a part of that and this scene's on uh, on youtube i can't believe how lovely that was for that to be released mm-hmm. for that for that to episode and for, about. yeah yeah this
1: it was an interesting thing that we um uh that we we sort of realized which is we have all this content here um and you know uh archives and and whatnot uh, that you sort of think of like, well, how are we going to build this? And and I think at a certain point, Tyler Alexander, who's Andrew's son who works here, was like, people just need to see this. Yes. So let's just start sending some archive stuff out into the, there's no, we're not getting paid. No one's getting paid. But the work is important. And so now that we've sort of every once in a while released these little pieces, the reaction is amazing. And it starts to build up, you know, uh, for people who didn't know or weren't around, um, a real sort of visceral understanding of the work that's not just handed down via, you know, Jeff Sweet's Something Wonderful Right Away. Right. Or whatever version of that you're on. There's a guy actually writing a Second City book right now. I don't know if you know about this. Uh, Sam Wasson, who wrote the Fosse book. Okay. um, And the Paul Mazursky book, Uh among others. Uh, uh, wanted to do uh, he didn't feel that there was an um, in-depth look at Second City that most of the modern books quite rightly are sort of either trying to cram everything in or celebrity photos but you know something wonderful right away in its time was amazing because it was just this oral history of a period in time so Sam's I think trying to identify five or six different alums dig into their stories using the experience at Second City in the middle so How'd they get here? Ugh. Their middle, and what they get out of here, mm-hmm. and uh, and by looking at these different stories, uh, both before and after, as well as in, you hopefully can get the three hundred and sixty. How great! I know. i Did he pick about, the? Did he pick the people? I think he's in the process. I think he's. Uh-huh. He, he got to. He got to. The great thing was he got to talk to. Um, Sheldon before he passed, right, and got to talk to Harold before he passed. Yes, uh, so oh that, great. So there was the, those experiences. At least were, we can can make it in, right? Um, and and Sam's a you know the Fossey book's pretty amazing, and and um, and he it was funny. I met with him in L.A. at the Roosevelt Hotel because he was interested in this project. And he, he, the two things that were amazing is he listened, um, and he asked amazingly smart questions that had more to do with the work right. than the celebrity.
0: I think that, that certainly doing this podcast has more to do with the work than the celebrity, has more to do with the heart than it does with the facts and box office and that kind of thing. Yeah. And I think that it's always so much, I think that it's always more, I think that it's always more, more interesting, more interesting when you look at the heart of what it is. And I look at all the main stage shows that I've seen that have drawn me in, and it's not the laughs, it's the heart. Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, Bernie Solons would say all politics is personal. Um, And the best political scenes that we did were about real human behavior. And I, I think about the Clinton sketch yes um and and in particular this is the one with uh um, uh, rich Tellerico, um and uh it's a couple on stage and they're getting ready for for bed it's all silent and clearly the guy's done something wrong he goes to put his hands on his wife and she just recoils and everyone has been in that position we've all been in that position and then three minutes four minutes into it he says come on hillary and then it's this whole other thing that was like, so we've already gone down the journey of this guy looks like me. I've done this. And then you find out it's him. And then you're like, oh. I love it. I'm going to view this now in, in, in that way. Um, and I, you know, our response to 9-11 um, in, in um, uh, the uh, Holy War Batman um, show with Keegan-Michael Key. When it be- the theme of the show ended up being around an Afghani cab driver driving around the evening of, of 9-11. And trying to convince people that he was from elsewhere. Right. Um, and it was so human and so honest. And there's a moment where Abby sure is playing uh, a, a girl, sort of a homely girl, who's going into a beauty contest that she's never going to win. Um, and she's quite taken with the cab driver. He's quite taken with her. And he, she kisses, uh, she kisses him, and um, she says, "That was my first kiss." And there's this little moment that I would always tear up. Yeah. It was. It was just. It's, it's one of my. I should. Call Abby about that because it's again like these little memories you've got from being here. And I remember during the run of that show, so it was the the we were supposed to open a show September thirteenth.
0: Was it the main stage show? The main was... stage show.
1: Embryos and Ice or Fetus don't fail me now. Right. <laughs> Which at that point was a big deal. Right. It became immediately irrelevant. We had to take stuff out. End up getting fine reviews, but it was a hard show to run because it was written it, written and became irrelevant very soon after. Very talented people, but tough situation to be in. I know. But Holy War had months, you know, a few months to be able to calibrate and, and be able to do their thing. And it became a very, it was one of the seminal Second City shows in the modern era. And one night, um, uh, Governor Ryan was here and uh, unconnected um, 30 firefighters from Ground Zero who had been given a flight to Chicago and were taking a break. And we were a little nervous because there was like anti-New York stuff and it was all about 9-11 but they loved it it was like the gallows humor was right up their alley and i remember keegan michael key in the outro as we're getting a standing ovation he goes that ovation shouldn't be for us these are firefighters from ground zero and everyone stood to applaud them oh my god and it was one of those just magic evenings and they they couldn't have been dirty enough for them they loved the anti-new york stuff um and that's one of those nights where you leave the theater and you're like, okay. This is, you know, there's no better job in America.
0: Clearly. And there's nothing that, there's, how do you explain to somebody what you just saw?
1: Right. As you well. Know, I mean, you can, you can tell the story and it's a cool story, but the, the, the real thing was that we were all here at that time. Right. Um, you know, it, it, it was like the first time Maya was played in the set. Right. Which is very similar to the scene that ended up in the show, uh, it, and that was one of
0: those magical things where that you go, "That doesn't happen." No, no. The idea that it was brought in on, a, on brought in on a Tuesday mm-hmm. and on Friday night or Saturday, it was in the show, mm-hmm. and you go, "How does that happen?" Yeah. It happens because uh, who the fuck knows why it happens? Or bagpipe, right? Exactly.
1: So, the, for the people who, if you've seen a Second City show in the last 20 years, uh, like on the road or on a cruise ship or whatever, you've probably, there's Pictionary is one, <laughs> Bagpipe right. is another where you, you played a human bagpipe right. in uh, Scott Almond, and it still works today. And those are the things that you've got to look at and be like, I can't believe that little 40-second thing still can elicit the same laughs. Kills every time. The, uh, the older version of that, I guess, is Mary Smith.
0: Mary Smith, yeah, where, like, yeah, 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 and yeah. It's That's, Willard, I believe. Uh, yes, and who was the woman? Uh, Sandra Karen or one of those type right of people, people maybe. who you go, what yeah. happened there? And that, not and, what happened there, but but you go, where is that person now? I didn't mean to say what happened. And that there. There was, was
1: a And that was a blackout. That was right. you know, little girl comes on stage, and the principal goes, "Now Mary Smith will sing the national anthem." Beat. <laughs> She's about to sing. The stage manager usually yells, "Mary Smith is a whore." Beat. Nevertheless. Right. And right. And the lights come and down. It's down so and she's just slowly they come down slowly. It's
0: slowly coming down. And it's this feeling of uncomfortable. And and she gives no facial recognition, like, hey, you buddy, don't do that. The lovely part of it is when she just goes
1: Yeah, just the reaction. This reaction. Just reaction. Sad. I wanna ask you about this. I tell this story all the time, um, and it is the it, it is a story I use when I talk about the role of a satirist. And I don't know if you remember this the same way. So let's see if you do. Um, there is a classic scene uh, called Spelling Bee, yes, at the Second City, uh, and which uh, probably
0: can't be done anymore, can it? It's
1: a little rough. Yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, you and Colbert uh, were the um, uh, voices uh, of the people leading the spelling bee, yeah, being particularly horrible to these kids, right? And in particular, being very horrible to Jackie Hoffman, yes. because one of them is clearly just, it's anti-Semitic.
0: Yes. Over and over again. She's a little girl, mm-hmm. so it's, yes, go ahead.
1: And and so so it's the Spelling Bee. Um, by the way, I don't know if you know Putnam Spelling Bee, the show that became the big Spelling Bee show. Uh-huh. They often, they saw that scene. <laughs> <laughs> so we should have thought of that idea. Right. Anyway, uh, the point uh, I have is Colbert coming into my office and saying we want to pull the scene. Okay. Because he felt like the laughs that they were getting about Jackie Hoffman, the, the sort of anti semitic stuff, were what he called blood-in-the-mouth laughs. Ooh. Ooh. Do you remember the story? I, I don't remember the story. And I had a long talk with him about, and maybe it was, was that Tom who directed that? Uh, it was either Tom or Ron West. Tom or Ron. That we all had a sort of conversation. There's Tom. Okay. Um uh, and, and we got into the idea of what the role of the satirist was. And it's like, you know, was I in
0: that, was I in that meeting?
1: Uh, no. Okay. Fine. This was Colbert's issue. Got yeah, it. You didn't care.
0: No, I didn't care. Being Jewish. Being Jewish. Right. Or, Why would I care? Uh,
1: just having to have two Jewish people on stage. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You're safe. dianu uh-huh. Uh, so, so we, we talked a lot about, you know, look, you know, there are going to be people who don't get what you're talking about. And I don't know that you, Jonathan Swift, you know, Mark Twain, right. Randy Newman, right. um, you would not have that kind of satire if that were the case. I say all of this to then look at what Colbert ended up doing, <laughs> which is create a character who I think a lot of people agree with. Yes, yes, Just yes, yes, yes. They do not yes. find it ironic at all. No, no. Right, right, right. <laughs> oh. right, right. But that was a big concern of his. And, and, not, and, and it's funny because we have that going on right now. There's a, a scene in the main stage. Where the actress is very concerned that the audience understand, um, in this case, that she's not a terrorist. Uh huh. I haven't even talked to her about it. Not my role during the process. I will afterwards, and I want to talk talk to her about the story because it's 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 connected.
0: I got to think about what what those anti-Semitic things were.
1: Well, and... the worst was uh, the you, you, uh, her word was compass. Can you use that in a sentence? Yes. Your people killed Jesus. <coughs> compass. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, 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 right,
0: oh, right. God, it was horrible. Oh my God, there were so many horrible things. And if you were only a little taller, your brother would be alive today. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. Right, another like all those lines. But I, but that goes goes back again to. One of the beautiful things about working here is to be able to have that discussion mm-hmm. and to be able to find your voice and to be able to not just find your voice, but that you you hold on to that for the rest of your life. And everything you do from that moment forward is flavored by yeah. that experience. Yeah, right,
1: right or wrongly. I mean, you know, the, the, we don't sen- – this is the interesting thing. We don't censor material here. Right. And I think people don't believe that. Uh-huh. and I've even heard people say things of like, well, you know what they 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 made them take out a show. it's like, expl- tell me when I ever came to you and said something had to be out of a show. never we don't do it. We will argue and fight and cajole and well, whatever. I
0: remember that I remember the title, uh, no seriously, we're all gonna die, mm-hmm. and i thought ah, i I was like, Oh I was so angry about that that title, mm-hmm. and then I went, oh, there's no other title. that's it. <laughs> That's it. There's no other that title. title. That was a great title. That was a great. Looking back on it now, and looking at all the, the who came up with that title. Uh, it was probably Al Samuels or I somebody. I think it was Al Samuels. But there's also I look at the scene of uh, the Superman scene mm-hmm. where it's Superman, Superman come and it's like and then you had Tellerico in a wheelchair with, in a wheelchair with a Superman oh, costume on. That and,
1: got Martin Short was at a preview and went
0: no, just, just yell no. <laughs> Right, but that was a that was a, that was an educational experience for Mick too. Yeah, he saved it. He said right, and he protected it. He yeah. used that word "protected" it, and I felt like that it, because that scene can't be at the beginning.
1: No, and 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 what's funny too? Now being in the position for a long time, because you said that that scene you can't do. Um, uh, spelling bee, spelling bee. You know, you know what's real hard to do? Gump.
0: Mm. Oh, because of the word "retarded." You're retarded because of oh. punching down. What's that?
1: It's punching down.
0: Oh, yeah. It wasn't
1: then. Right. It didn't, and it didn't mean to then. I know Adam wouldn't.
0: No. But
1: now it feels like, well, who, who you know, we, we're, we're just saying the word gets people all, you know, hyped up, which is fine. I, I don't mind defending. We, we had a show a couple of years ago, a beautiful show, uh, and Katie Rich made a retarded joke that I didn't agree with. Told her I didn't agree with it. Customers wrote letters. I never made her take take it out. And I remember one woman was like, "You have to tell them." I go, "I don't do that." Right. I mean, we don't censor here. It's up to them. I will state your case. Yes. I agree with your case. Yes. But I'm not going to do that to to Katie. That's not. We don't do that here. Right. And if that means you have to boycott, I guess you boycott. I, you know, but I don't. I think free speech is actually pretty important, and maybe as important as you're concerned about that word? Oh, clearly, and that we get to have that discussion and about it discussion. as well. But also, guns are tough.
0: Well, the uh, that old scene with uh, where the where the teacher comes in and shoots the entire class. Bullet, bullet, right? Bullet. Like <laughs> no, at that point, bullet. it's like, oh my god, that's an awesome scene. Bullet. Or there was that that scene in ETC where like your son shot my son, and now I guns get to shoot pits. your daughter, you're right? That. Like that scene there. Can't and not
1: do that. Nope. Um, uh, uh, the out of. Um, uh oh i Two Truths and a Lie. Uh which the, the
0: uh Oh it's a blackout. It's, it, it's a new no no, no
1: no it's a full scene. It, it Jack McBrear was in it, Martin Garcia. Uh everyone's telling Two Truths and a Lie, but the, the it ends up being that the woman whose fiance is there, she slept with everyone and among other things. Mm-hmm. But then the revelation at the end is that she's a man. Ah. And it's kind of a transgender hit. Right. And well, a bunch of us have transgender friends, and they work on successful shows right now about that. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. Like, I, if Alex Billings comes to that show, and again, this was a hit, hit scene, it toured forever, it's, that out is wrong now.
0: Yes. Yes. So you yes. Gotta,
1: you got to be able to like you, you do change things. But nowadays, I don't know that anybody would do that.
0: Do they that blow? Wouldn't. We wouldn't do that blow. No, we wouldn't do wouldn't. that out for that scene. No, the
1: young, the young people doing this wouldn't because they have been educated in a different. Clearly,
0: so when somebody does a mother-in-law joke, the equivalent of a mother-in-law yeah. joke, you go, "We don't do that anymore. We don't. Yep. That's not funny anymore."
1: Yep. um It was funny though. We were just on Saturday night. I was in Toronto. Uh, for the Second City Guide to the Symphony, which was a collaboration we did with the Toronto Symphony Orchestra. It was just two nights. 2,500-seat um, hall. We sold out both shows. Um, and it was beautiful orchestrations that Matt Reed, who's a musical director up there, created because he's a composer. Um, How big he, was the orchestra? Orchestra? Uh, uh, full orchestra? Full orchestra. Full symphony. Jesus. And so it was amazing. So they, they, they backed up songs. We did bits with them. It was great. A huge, great review in the, the paper. Hopefully we tour it. Uh, but the second act opener was orchestra. <gasps> and it killed and it was a scene from god
0: it was before my first main stage show
1: yes it was Rabano, correll ron, ron west,
0: west maybe franny, franny. I, yeah so uh,
1: uh, G- jill
0: so, what was the conceit of the scene? What the scene was? Uh,
1: it, it was a orchestra. It was a kids' uh, orchestra uh, um, that had uh, cut their funding for the school. Right. Still in vogue, uh, and so they had no instruments. Right. So then it made everyone in the audience be an instrument. So they clinked their keys, they clapped, they did, did different things, and then they and then everyone in the audience becomes the orchestra. Yes. And all these people, I, like after the show, these people are like that orchestra bit. What a fresh, original idea that was! <laughs> like that is.
0: I've been been in LA for 20 years and that was probably five years before that so that's a quarter century old it's It's gotta be
1: yes it was it's Jesus 26 25 years right 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 but it worked it worked um, and it was funny when it came up because I'm like, oh boy, <laughs> <to> Andrew's next to me, and he's like, no, it worked. I mean, I'm like, I know it worked. I was not looking forward to it. Oh
0: boy, it's oh Like boy. when you bring
1: Pictionary out, like right. was just I was such...
0: just thinking that same thing. It's like, oh boy, and it's like,
1: God, ah, that's hysterical. Now people love it. All
0: right, well let's uh, let's stop there okay. for no other reason other than we keep talking. Uh, thank you so much. Yeah,
1: this was fun. It was. Thank you for listening to ADD Comedy. For Dave Rosowski, I'm Ian Foley. For more information on Dave, you can go to his website at www.davidrosowski.com or follow Dave on Twitter
0: at D Rosowski.